Good morning. You guys doing well? Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 5. We're looking at verses 18 through 21. This is our fourth week. In fact, we're concluding this teaching series this morning. Being spirit-filled is the most amazing life you could ever hope or dream to live. I'm convinced of that. The spirit-filled life is the most amazing life you could ever hope or dream to live. We have been in this teaching series, we have been uh, looking at the magnitude, the means, the method, and the marks. Today we're looking at the marks of the spirit-filled life. I want to start by reading to you a quote from uh, Francis Chan from his book. Hey, Mike, would you bring me down just a tad, if you would, please? Thanks. This is from Francis Chan's book, uh, Reversing Our Tragic Neglect of the Holy Spirit, called Forgotten God. Listen to what he says, just a really a brief quote here, part of the intro. He says, the benchmark of success in church services has, has be- become more about attendance than the movement of the Holy Spirit. The entertainment model of church over the last couple decades adopted by the church over the last couple decades, while it alleviated some of our boredom for a couple of hours a week, it filled our churches with self-focused consumers rather than self-sacrificing servants attuned to the Holy Spirit. I agree. So today we're looking at the marks of this spirit-filled life, and uh, in a bit we'll... I'll do a quick review, but let's begin with a word of prayer. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's just take a moment here and once again go before the throne of grace. Father God, we love you. We love you because you first loved us. The highest heavens cannot contain you. And out of your extravagant love, you sent your Son to redeem us, and now your Son has has sent your Holy Spirit to fill us. And the greatest gift, the greatest gift you have given us is yourself. What an amazing life we have in knowing you. May we be changed this morning through the study of your word from self-focused consumers to self-sacrificing servants attuned through the work and the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Take a look at the text. I'd like for us to uh, read it together and aloud. You guys were kind of anxious last week. You wanted to read the whole thing. So guess what? We're going to read the whole thing this morning. You guys ready? Ephesians 5, verses 18 through 21, all together. Here we go. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word of the Lord. So, let me, uh, we're, we're looking at what, what are the marks of the Spirit-filled life, but before I do that, I want to give just a quick review at the magnitude, means, and method. Before I do that, let me show you a, uh, 
a video clip, and I think it's important for us to understand that this whole idea of spirit-filled life, it is not a technique to be mastered. It is a relationship to be uh, cultivated, nurtured, pursued. In our quick-fix, microwave uh, environment culture, we, you know, we, want, we want things that are simple and easy, and so we look for this easy, quick steps, six easy steps to the more abundant life or, or to this or that or any number of things, and it, it's, not, it's not a technique. This is not a technique to be mastered. This is a relationship that we, we draw and get closer to God and understand as he fills us with his presence. And uh, so there's a video clip that's from, uh, it's, a, it's a commercial actually from the Super Bowl. Yes, I'm going to show a Super Bowl commercial. And it was the one with the Doritos where the guy uh, sprinkled the Doritos. And so it kind of reminded me of this whole idea of, of technique. Check this out. We'll talk about it. Hey, dude, feed the fish, water the plant. I'll see you next Thursday. And welcome back on this beautiful Thursday morning. Next up, the second... Grandpa! Mikey! There you go. So I wish you could just come forward. I could sprinkle Doritos on you this morning and you'd be filled with the Spirit. Or better yet, you know, uh, Bible verses on you. Or you could come forward, you could click your heels three times and say, there's no place like home, there's no place like home. And I could wave a magic wand over you. And and that's often what we want when it comes to our lives, when it comes to the Christian life. It's not going to happen. It's not what the Christian life is about. In fact, it's, it's important for us to understand. And let me just do a quick review. The magnitude... The magnitude of this life is that the Christian, that, that Christians both individually and corporately are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in us. That, that's amazing. That is totally amazing. That when we put our faith in the personal work of Jesus Christ, he places his Holy Spirit within us. You have the spirit of the living God that raised Jesus from the dead he dwells in us. He dwells in you. That's the magnitude of this. That's, that's, it's amazing. And that's what, we wanted to, that's what we learned that first week. The means is that through spiritual disciplines, what you're doing here when you read your Bible, pray, hang out with other fired-up Christians, through spiritual disciplines, if I seek the giver rather than his gifts, I'll be filled with his presence. And his love... His love will prove to be better than life. (laughs) There is nothing on this planet that compares to his extravagant love to us in our heart and as it works in our lives. But we don't always live in the reality of that. So that takes us to the method. The method is taking, taking that from concept to reality deep within my heart by being careful not to, and there was two things we talked about, being careful not to grieve the Holy Spirit and not to quench the Holy Spirit. And therefore, we're careful to make sure that we seek to please the Holy Spirit and seek to listen to the Holy Spirit. And also keeping in mind that it's not that you get more of Him, but it's really about Him getting more of you. And so what we come now to is the, the marks, and there are three marks in our text in verses 19 through 21. 
There's joy, contentment, and service. We're going to look at all three of those marks. But I want you to notice, first of all, before we, we uh, unpack each of those marks, I want you to notice what is not on the list. Now, historical movements of God, that is, awakenings and revivals, have had a whole assortment of variations. Uh, phenomena have come and gone. And what I'm talking about is widespread miracles, healings, emotional experiences, people overwhelmed with the presence of God, greater evangelism, I mean, the list goes on. And what I want you to understand is that you can, you can have awakenings with or without these phenomena. And I think it's uh, important to keep that in mind. But you need to have these characteristics. If indeed you're filled with the Spirit, you will have these characteristics that he spells out here for us. Joy, contentment, and service. Regardless of whatever phenomena you might experience with that, those come and go. Another thing that we need to keep in mind, too, is that because of the day and time that we live in, beware of social, psychological manipulation where charismatic preachers uh, whip people into a frenzy or into some kind of taught behavior and identifying that as, uh, as the work of the Holy Spirit. If you do not have joy, contentment, and service that flows out of that, then you don't really have that spirit-filled life, as he states here. And there's certainly other places in Scripture that talk about that. I am for all of the gifts. I believe in all of the gifts today and, and healings and all of these things. But it's interesting that he doesn't mention any of that here. He's really talking about really walking out in our practical, everyday life, these three characteristics. So let's look at these characteristics. Here's the first one, joy. And we get that from verse 19. He says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Now, typically when I study a text, I'll ask a lot of questions. It's a great way to study and uh, I've got three questions for each of these uh, characteristics, each of these three characteristics. I have three questions for each one that will help us to unpack the idea here. So, so as it relates to joy, here's the first uh, question I have. You can answer out loud if you'd like. Who is the source of this joy? Answer, it's the Lord. You can see it right there in the text. Making melody to the Lord to the Lord. So write that down. So who is the source of this joy? It is the Lord. Now, why is that so important for us to dive in on that? Why is it important that we see that? Well, I think it's important to understand that there's a major difference. And we taught this through our Philippians series here not too long ago. There's a major difference between happiness and joy. I mean, we kind of refer to both of them kind of in the same, in the same way. We made a distinction between the two. Happiness has to do with that which is External, temporal, and very self-centered. In other words, happiness that is built on people, things, and circumstances. That's typically how we build our happiness. And it's going to be very fleeting. It's not going to last. But there is a joy that comes as a result of our being focused on Christ. It is, it is internal, it is eternal, and it is God-centered. And it is, it is simply amazing. That when you begin to understand this joy and the joy that God begins to pour into your life as a result of, of understanding who Jesus is and what he's done. And as we focus our lives upon him, there is the result of that will be joy. He is the focus of our joy. And uh, I think it's important to always keep that in mind. In fact, let me just say this just before I go any further. 
as it relates to his joy and what he provides as we focus our lives upon him. That when you understand who Christ is and what he has done for you, the only appropriate response and the only real response when you understand it to the depth of your being is an unspeakable, glorious joy. When you understand what Jesus Christ has done for you, when you begin to personalize the cross, Jesus dying on the cross for you, it will bring to you unspeakable joy. I can kind of tell when people don't get it because they don't have that unspeakable joy. It's kind of like, ah, whatever. No, it's not whatever. It's significant. It's profound. It is stunning. There is unspeakable joy. And let me tell you something about this joy. There is no, there is no romance. There is no finance. There is no circumstance enhancement. Maybe I could write hip-hop now. Uh, there is nothing on this planet Earth that compares to the joy that is the byproduct of someone who has encountered this Jesus and his person and his work in our behalf. Uh, it's just, it's totally amazing. Um, I'm going to have you do something here. I'll, I like doing this from time to time just to kind of talk with the people around you. And I know you're going to get this wrong. This is another question. It's not the second question on the list there on your notes, but it's another question, okay? And it's just another question as it relates to the first question. Are you following me on that one? So here we go. So here's the question, because I think you're going to get this wrong. I think most of you are going to get this wrong, although the first service kind of shocked me with this. Is it, let me ask you this. What is the opposite? What is the opposite of this joy? Go ahead and talk it over with the folks sitting around you. See if you can come up with it, and I'll try to get, you, get that answer from you. What is the opposite of joy? Okay. Okay, do you guys, you, get, you guys think you guys know what the opposite of this joy is? How many, how many think the opposite of this joy, show of hands, how many think the opposite of this joy is sadness? Sadness. Sadness. Oh, come on, some of you answered it that way. <laughs> See, you guys are, you guys know, I'm not going to do it. He's going to point me out and he's going to yell at me. That guy's going to yell at me. Oh, Rich, Jeannie, you, you said sadness. Huh? See, your, your husband just pointed you out. You guys need to go to the intimacy class. Yeah, she's, she's going to be mad at you now. Okay, okay, you don't need to fess up, although we are in church. But uh, how many said sadness, sadness, sadness? See, okay, my Aunt Billy. Come on up here, come up on the stage, let me... I'm kidding. See, see what I'm going to do? Now you're really not going to answer that, are you? It's not sadness. It's not sadness. The opposite of joy is not sad. We're going to be sad in this world. You will take hits. And here's what's so amazing is that in the midst of your sadness, you can still have joy, even while you're grieving. The opposite of joy is hopelessness. How many answered it that way? Show of hands. Oh, you guys... You guys learned from our last teaching series. You guys are good, man. You're all over it. Even more so in this service than the last service. This service is smarter. No, don't tell them I said that. Okay, so, so it's, it's, it's not sadness. It's despair. It's hopelessness. What would be, 
What would be the counterfeit? What would be the counterfeit of this joy when you think that you've got it when you really don't? Happiness, yeah. Got it. You guys are all over it. Stand for closing prayer. Let's go. <laughs> no, you're not off that easy. There's no way I'm going to let you off that easy. So, so here's the deal. It is. It's happiness. You think you got the joy because you got this happiness because it's built on something in creation, people, things, and circumstances. And then when those get knocked out from under you, where's your joy? But if your joy is in Jesus, regardless of what goes down with the people, things, and circumstances of your life, you have something that sustains you. You might still have sadness, but you're not in despair. You're not hopeless. You see, this is what's so amazing about this joy. And you focus your life upon the Lord Jesus Christ and his work on the cross, all that he's provided for you. This is what it is. Joy is a buoyancy. Life can push you down, can't keep you down. It's a buoyancy based on the pleasures you find in the eternal privileges you have in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So what are some of those eternal privileges that you find great delight and pleasure in even when life is dumped on you, when things are just not going well, people in your life are criticizing you, circumstances are just out the window. It's crazy. What are the privileges you focus on that cannot be taken from you? What are some of those privileges that we have? Yell them out to me. Bonnie, what's that? Wisdom. Yeah, yeah, there's wisdom. He gives us, a, gives us insight, wisdom. He gives us a perspective. Wisdom is seeing and responding to life from God's perspective. Yes. Unconditional love. Ooh, that nothing can, nothing can separate us from his love. Yes. He'll never leave us or forsake us. Amazing. I mean, that's, that's it. Do you believe that? That's the reality of what the Bible says. That's the reality of what Jesus did on the cross. As I've thought about the different uh, eternal blessings, the pleasures I find in the eternal blessings, my past sins are forgiven. Present problems can be managed because he indwells me with his Holy Spirit. Greater is he that is in me than anything, anyone, than he that is in the world. His power in me, resurrection power. And then my future is secure. Here's another three that I oftentimes reflect on. He can take my bad and work it for my good. Yeah. And the truly best thing in my life, the truly best thing about my life can never, ever, ever be taken from me. As you said, nothing can ever separate me from his love. That can't be taken from me. And then, also, as a Christian, the best is yet to come. So, I mean, that's just a few. There are thousands of uh, promises in this book. So you can kind of see uh, what God's up to, what he's wanting to do in our lives, and the kind of joy that we can have that just exceeds any happiness that we would ever have on this planet Earth. Here's the, uh, let me give you a couple verses, Philippians 4, 4. This was a verse that we, this was actually our, kind of our memory verse, theme verse, when we went through the book of Philippians. It's the key verse of Philippians. You probably already know it. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, Rejoice. Be intoxicated by his love is what it's saying. Just 24-7. Drink deep of, of the beauty and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Fill your heart with him. Here's another favorite verse of mine. It's part of the cross references there on that first question. It's First Peter 1 Peter 1.8. 
Peter's writing to second-generation Christians. In, in other words, these are Christians that became Christians as a result of the first-generation Christians. That makes sense, doesn't it? And, uh, but they didn't see Jesus as these first-generation Christians did. And Peter, being a first-generation Christian, he actually says that we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He describes his encounter with Jesus. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And then he goes on and he talks about these second-generation Christians. And he says, though you have not seen him... You love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. (laughs) There's something that happens in our lives when we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and we walk in the reality of his eternal privileges that he has provided for us through the cross so he's the source what's the depth what is the depth of this joy yell it out to me that's the second question what's the depth of this joy anybody your heart it's your heart it's right there in the in the text notice what it says addressing one another in psalms hymns spiritual songs singing and making melody to the lord with your heart now why would it be important that he says that because he said that because Jesus made it very clear as his big indictment on the Pharisees. He said that they worship me with their lips, but their hearts are what? They're far from me. So it is possible to come to church and look real good on the outside, sing the songs, clap your hands, drop money in the box, hang out with your fired up friends and all be on the surface. Just going through the motions. But but he's talking about this joy that that is... It's deep in our heart. The Bible uses the word heart some 900 times. When it's talking about our heart, it's talking about our, our thoughts, our emotions, and our will, but even something much deeper. It's talking about our treasure, our treasure. And uh, th- there's a verse that's been a staple here at Desert Breeze over the last few years. It's that cross-reference right there, Matthew six twenty one. Anyone know it? Where your treasure is, that is where your heart will be also. So I could kind of find out what your treasure is, is by really looking to see what dominates your heart. That is, what dominates your thoughts, stirs up your deepest emotion, and then how you order your life. You're going to order your life around that which is most important to you. In fact, if I were to look at your thoughts, what dominates your thoughts, what stirs your deepest emotions, and then how you spend your money and mark your calendar out, how you organize your life, that would tell me a lot about what's most important to you. And what he's saying here is that make Christ the treasure of your life. Is he the treasure of your life? If you do, if, if, if you can't get him out of your mind, if he stirs the deepest emotion, I mean, when we were singing those songs earlier this uh, morning, man, it just, it brings so much emotion to me when I hear those songs. When I, talk, when I see about, uh, when I sing those songs of his love and his grace and the cross and these things like that, it just stirs deep emotion within me. And it's just, uh, I, don't, I don't know how to describe it at times, but just overwhelmed by his love, I get a sense of his love. And uh, that's what's going to happen in your life. And that's where you begin to experience that joy as a result of that. And here's the next question. Uh, Who are we to share this joy with? Yell it out to me. Everyone, yeah. One another, that's what he says. So you can see it addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Everyone. By the way, let me just say this, that if you're bored, you're bored with the Christian life, if you're bored right now... uh, 
I'd like to know. Okay. Uh, if you're bored with the Christian life, it would be questionable whether or not you're a Christian, first of all. I would kind of wonder, are you a Christian? And then uh, if you are, then I would have to say, are you even walking in vital union with Jesus Christ? Are you, has he captivated, has he, has he ravished, has he, is your heart smitten by his beauty, glory, and all of who he is? And so you correct that by getting another glimpse, beholding him, getting a chance, spending some time with him, get to know him through his word, through prayer. And, and you'll have that joy because I'll tell you what, it's far from boring. I've never experienced any boring in the Christian life when I'm walking in vital union with Jesus Christ. It's, it's, there's not a more amazing, uh, exhilarating, exciting, enthusiastic life I've ever been part of. That's the spirit-filled life. And so, uh, so who are we to share this joy with one another? In fact, I'm convinced that if you don't want other people to know what you have, then what you have isn't very potent, okay? You're probably boring, okay? You're probably boring. Not the gospel, but you're not living in vital union with Jesus Christ. And once you've tasted that in his presence is fullness of joy and at his right hand are pleasures evermore. Once you've tasted of that, you have to want anyone else you care about to know it too. That's one of the reasons why we give you opportunity to pass out flyers to your friends and family and to bring as many people as possible. When that joy is in your heart, it overflows your life to those within your circle of touch, within your circle of influence. 10, uh, Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, one of our cross-references here, it says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another in all the more as you see the day drawing near. It's interesting here. Remember, this is in the context of don't be drunk with wine. People go to the bottle to get what we get from the Spirit-filled life. And that is the ability to face reality. And people drink to deal with reality because it dulls their senses so they can face reality. But the Holy Spirit does just the opposite. It intensifies our reality. We begin to see more clearly what Christ is, is doing in our behalf. We begin to see that he is for us and not against us. Now, what's interesting about this, and I've been in many environments where people were drinking pretty heavy. And... Um, and uh, it, was, uh, it was all I could do to keep my... Uh, no, I'm not going to say that. I better not say that. Okay. I've been in those environments where uh, people have drank pretty heavy. When I worked construction, I'd, we'd go to the party. But my wife and I would typically cut out pretty early. But here's what was interesting about when people would start drinking is that their inhibitions were lower. There was certainly, a, you know, it was a party atmosphere with celebration. Decreased inhibitions producing greater vulnerability, greater creativity to say the least, with songs, stories, and greater community. That's in, sometimes, I've actually went to, I went to a football game to watch the Raiders uh, play, and it was like a drunken brawl there, okay? Uh, I wasn't there to watch the Raiders, it was watch the Cardinals, but it was kind of interesting how the inhibitions were lowered in those kind of environments, but, but inhibitions are lowered in an environment where people are spirit-filled because they're, they're free to be who God created them to be because their confidence is in the cross and in Jesus Christ. 
And so I know that God is for me, not against me. Therefore, I don't have to be afraid to tell you what's going on in my life and my own personal struggles because my identity is not in what you say about me or even what I say about me, but what he's already said about me. And so that's, that's part of this. There's a party atmosphere when people are filled with the Spirit and experiencing the fullness of the Spirit and how they share their lives and how they interact. There's a quote here by C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis struggled with this idea that the Bible tells us to praise God, almost like he was some kind of egotistical maniac. And, and listen to what he says here. This is from a book, uh, Reflections on the Psalms. And he says, The miserable idea that God should in any sense need or crave for our worship like a vain woman wanting compliments is absurd. He would hardly come to us, the lowest of rational creatures, to gratify his appetite any more than I want my dog to bark approval for my books. But the most obvious fact about praise, whether of God or anything, strangely escaped me. I had never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise unless shyness or the fear of boring others is deliberately brought in to check it. The world rings with praise. Lovers praising their mistresses, readers their favorite poet, walkers praising the countryside, players praising their favorite game. Praise of weather, wines, dishes, actors, motors, horses, uh, colleges, countries, historic. He goes through this whole list and he says even sometimes politicians or scholars, except where intolerable adverse circumstances interfere, praise almost seems to be inner health made audible. I had not noticed either that just as men spontaneously praise whatever they value, so they, so they spontaneously urge us to join them in praising it. Isn't she lovely? Wasn't it glorious? Don't you think that magnificent? The psalmist, in telling everyone to praise God, are doing what all men do when they speak of what they care about, delight in, and what indeed we can't help doing about everything we value. Fully to enjoy is to glorify. In commanding us to glorify Him, God is inviting us to enjoy Him. Pretty profound. In other words, these are my words, you will spontaneously praise what you most prize, what you most enjoy. Nothing in the universe is as beautiful and captivating and satisfying as the Lord Jesus Christ. Not, uh, knowing Him is the most enjoyable pursuit in life. If He is your most enjoyable pursuit, then the completion of your enjoyment of Him will be in your praise of Him to others. John Piper writes, authentic, heartfelt, truth-based, God-centered praise is the mark of mental health and the apex of human wholeness. So when we behold Him and we give glory to Him, you've heard me say this many times before, this is part of our kind of, uh, we got this from uh, John Piper, but God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. And when we are most satisfied in Him, the world has no hold on us. Make sense? That's my segue to the next point, contentment. 
Because that's what we're talking about here. So this joy overflows our lives. We share that with others. And that's just evidence of this contentment. Verse 20, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So these are the marks of spirit-filled life. Joy, unspeakable joy, and unbelievable contentment. And I think that really he's giving us the definition of contentment. Now think about this. Giving thanks always. And for everything to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So let me ask you this first question under that one. How often are we to give thanks? Yell it out to me. Always. Always. Always give thanks. That's, that's a hard one for me. I'm not naturally, I don't think you are naturally probably just always giving thanks. skippity doo dah, skippity day But that's not what he's talking about there. My oh my, what a wonderful day. Kind of look, try to be, look beyond the, the hardship I think it's in the midst of hardship that we can still do that if we have really something going on in our heart. Always. How often are we to give thanks? Always. And I, I thought about that. I go, wow, that's, that's hard. And then I thought, are there any examples of this in the Bible? And there's examples all over the Bible. Let me just give you two. Here's the first one, Job 121. Remember Job? Job loses all of his wealth and his children... He had seven boys, three girls. He lost it all, lost them, lost his wealth. You remember what he says in Job 121? He says, naked I came into this world. Of course, this was after he ripped his clothes and fell on the ground and cried out. And most people would look and say, he, he's losing it. Pray for him. And actually, the Bible says that he never sinned in his response. So in the midst of this sorrow and grief, he makes this statement. He says, naked I came into this world. Naked I'm going to leave. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And that's unbelievably profound. Because what we're seeing in him is that he's not a pagan. Too often we're pagans. We want to appease the gods or God. He didn't say, God, I prayed for my kids regularly. I was a righteous guy. I mean, I did everything right, and this is what I get. See, that's called paganism. Appease the God somehow, and then he will bless you. No, he had an understanding of God's grace. He had an understanding of God's sovereignty. He understood that every breath, every heartbeat, everything he had came from God, and God at any moment could take it away. That's the grace of God. Therefore, he was able to say, blessed be the name of the Lord. My focus is upon him. God is big. My life is in his hands. He calls the shots. He writes the script for my life. And I will submit to that. That's basically what he's saying. So he had this big, big idea of God. Not small like we often think that we can boss God around. You don't get that in him. See, that's religion. By the way, by the way, if things go bad in your life and you get ticked off at God, it's because you don't understand grace. You don't understand God's sovereignty. And if you get this entitlement attitude, which is very common in our society today, you really don't understand grace. And nor do you understand sovereignty. And that God is loving, wise, and in control of our lives. And what he does in our lives is for our good in his ultimate glory, regardless of what happens. And so the more you begin to understand his grace, you're not going to have an attitude of entitlement. You're going to have an attitude of gratitude because that's what you saw coming from Job. 
Not only that, an attitude of entitlement really is coming from like, God, you're indebted to me. You know that. As opposed to, God, I am forever indebted to you. I thank you that you are in my life, that I even have you in my life. That is amazing. And because I have you, I can handle anything. See, that's that attitude that understands grace. Woo! I'm not there. I'm wanting to get there. I'm wanting to really understand more fully his grace and his sovereignty in my life. But God's doing a lot of work in me. I thought about this, and as it even relates to, uh, here's another example. Check this out. This will blow your circuits here. This is found in Acts 5.41. The apostles arrested and beaten. These guys are beaten. And then they release them, and they're charged not to speak in the name of Jesus. And this is what what it says in uh, Acts 5.41. They left rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus? My goodness sakes. I think that they were so captivated by the beauty of Jesus that just to be able to suffer for him was, was, it was honorable to them. God, whatever, whatever happens in my life, the very fact that you would consider me even worthy to be able to suffer in your behalf, that I could put on display somehow through my weakness, your strength, your glory, your beauty, all of who you are. That's what they're saying. That's amazing. That's totally amazing. And I think it has to, I think you have to focus on who God is. But I'll tell you what, when, when you know that having God is enough, in fact, more than enough, it brings this kind of buffer to your life. And what happens is that your good days are leavable. Your bad days are durable. You can get through them. Because good days, bad days, it doesn't matter. I got him. You're not, you're not puffed up by praise and you're not deflated by criticism. Because why? Because what he says about you matters more than anything. That's the trump card. It trumps everything else. So it creates this kind of buffering system within your own life. You're not riding this crazy roller coaster with the ups and downs of circumstances and people and things. The success doesn't inflate you. Failure doesn't deflate you because he's your success. You've got him and he is more than enough. That's why I believe that the psalmist says in Psalm 34, verses 1 through 3, I'll just read one. He says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. Second question, what are we to give thanks for? Yell it out to me. What are we to give thanks for? Everything. So we are to give thanks always, and we are to give thanks for everything. We see this happening in uh, Paul's life, Philippians 4, 11 through 13, while he's in prison. He says, I've learned to be content no matter what's going on, what's going down. And he actually gives us the answer to that. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Colossians three seventeen says, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's key, giving thanks to God the Father through him. But Hebrews 13, 15 gives us some good insight. It says, through Jesus, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. So what's a sacrifice of praise to God? I think a sacrifice of praise to God is when you look around at your circumstances and they just don't make sense. You look around and so, God, are you in charge? It doesn't look like you're in charge, and yet the Bible says that he is in charge. But from our perspective, from our vantage point, it doesn't seem like it. But the Bible says over and over again and that he is in charge. And that fact is that God makes sense even when he doesn't make sense. And so you give a sacrifice of praise. You say, God, I'm going to praise you. I'm going to live for you regardless of what goes down in my life. I can't make heads or tails out of it, but I'm not going to lean upon my own understanding. 
The Bible says, don't lean upon your own understanding, the third chapter of Proverbs, but I'm going to acknowledge you in all my ways. That's that sacrifice of praise. You can rest in his love. Here's the next question. What is the basis of our thanksgiving or our contentment? What is it based on our text here? It's the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The name of our Lord Jesus Christ. A couple of verses here that go along with that. This is another really favorite verse of mine. This verse, these two verses have helped me out through a lot of difficult times. Psalm 9, 9 and 10, it says the Lord is a, in fact, I think the NIV actually says uh, refuge. It kind of flips the words, but they're the same word here as it says a stronghold in times of trouble. So the Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of of trouble. Do you know what he's talking about here? In those days when enemies would come into the land, people that were living out on the flat land, they would run to the mountains where the castles were built for protection. And he's just saying, hey, you're a refuge. You're a castle. You're a fortress. Then when I'm feeling like I'm under the gun, I can run to you. You're a God is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And notice what it says, and those who know your name. Name speaks of God's character. So here's, here's the idea. This is what you've got to understand. If you want your faith to soar during difficult times, get to know his name, his character. Because the more you know him, the more you will trust him. How many have ever found that to be true that certain people, as you got to know them, you just couldn't trust them and whatsoever? Huh? Yeah, God's not that way. You get to know his name. You get to, literally, that's what that word means. Name speaks of his character. And if I'm, if I'm faltering in my faith, it's because I'm not going to try to muster up faith so I can believe. You get to know him. You come face to face with the living God through his word and in prayer and in worship. And as he begins to reveal himself to you, because those, notice what it says, and those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, this is good have never, have not forsaken those who seek you. Listen, some of you needed to hear that this morning. He will not forsake you. He will not forsake you. I don't care what it looks like on the outside. I don't care how the storms are blowing. I don't care what the circumstances look like. He will not forsake you. He loves you. Seek him. Get to know his name and his character. This next one is Proverbs 18.10. It says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. So here's an, here's an interesting thing here. Let me finish reading. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. So within these castles, there were these towers, and these towers would give them uh, this ability to strategize in, in, the, in wartime. It would give these generals and these uh, officials in war to be able to see where the enemy's coming. And so not only is he a place of protection, but he will also give you a perspective that you otherwise wouldn't have if you will run to him because his name, his name gives you what you need as you get to know his name and his character. So we've got joy, we've got contentment. And by the way, once again, contentment is seen in our giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And now we come to service. Notice what he says here in verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Here's your first question. What will joyful, content people do? They're going to submit to one another. That's what they'll do. In other words, you're going to want that to overflow your life. In Philippians 2 
uh, 1 through 4 gives us a great cross-reference of, uh, of that. He says, since we have these amazing blessings in Christ, do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility consider others more significant than yourselves. And don't just look to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. It's, it's that quote that I gave you at the very beginning from Francis Chan from his book. We will go from being self-focused consumers to self-sacrificing servants. Why would we do that? Because we have unspeakable joy and unbelievable contentment in our heart. And so that will overflow in our hands in wanting to minister to others and to help everyone else to experience what we're experiencing. Number two, second question, how comprehensive is this ministry mindset? Every area of life. And so we read these verses in the context of this book. Chapters 1 through 3 of Ephesians talks about our wealth. Chapters 4 through 6 talks about our walk. So in the midst of our walk, chapter 4, he talks about the church. And then the rest of these verses, guess where he goes from here? So he goes from submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ to wives, submit to your husbands. And then he goes on, husbands, as Christ loved the church, you love your wives. Give your life for her. And then he goes into parenting. And then he goes into employer-employee relationships. And then he goes into spiritual warfare. So it covers every area of our lives. If I am spirit-filled, then it's going to impact every area of my life. And then last question, what will we want? Why will we want to serve others? Reverence for Christ. Out of reverence for Christ. Reverence means fear. It is a life transforming, joyful awe and wonder of the beauty, the glory, the splendor of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. In fact, I'm going to read these verses. We're going to bring the band up. They're going to, we're going to wrap it up today with my favorite song, His Love Never Fails. It's awesome. It's, it's one of my favorite songs for this week at least. It's actually been my favorite song for quite a while, but, but it's a beautiful song. And I think it's a good way to wrap up and get ready and get primed for our big party next weekend. Uh, but let me read these verses here. This is what motivates us. Look at Philippians 2, 5 through 8. It says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. He, he emptied himself, not of his deity, but of his glory. Think about this. God died for you. It says, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Now think about it. Everybody look up here. This is what you got to get. The God of creation loved you so much that he came to this earth. And he wasn't just a man. He became a servant. He wasn't just a servant. He died on a cross for you and I to give us fullness of life. Here's my last point. Jesus emptied himself so that I could be full, spirit-filled. Therefore, out of that unspeakable joy and unbelievable contentment, I can empty myself so that others may be full, spirit-filled in Christ. Stand with us as we sing this song. His love never fails. His love never fails. Romans eight twenty-eight. He's working all things for our good and his glory. Sing it from your heart. You can see why it's my favorite song, huh? That's a good song. His love never fails. His love never fails. Next weekend, big party. The following weekend, we're going to study Habakkuk. Trusting in troubled times. 
And we have a class here this morning. If you want to get baptized next weekend, come to the class right here. God bless you. Have a great weekend.